Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello and welcome to Affected by Altitude, a podcast by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliate of SB Nation. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Skylar Timmons, along with my other Spider-Man, uh, Evan Lang. Uh, I am the spectacular and Evan Lang. <laughs> and our very good buddy, Mac Wilcox, is back with us. Yeah, man. I am uh, back from my uh, adventures through time, so I am... Uh, Mac 2099 on this podcast, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I change it. my answer and be the Super 90 Scarlet Spider with the sleeves cut off hoodie? Oh, the, the clones? The clone saga. Don't, Don't bring get that up. That. Scarlet Don't Spider is cool that. on his own. Just one more day. Wacky stuff. <laughs> Spider-Man's on the mind since No Way Home came out on Blu-ray, and I watched it recently. Amazing. Amazing Good movie. stuff. Uh, yeah. But, but we're not here to talk about Spider-Man today. Uh, I wouldn't mind that, but... We could be. <laughs> we could be. I mean, Su- grab the wheel, sudden change of direction. That's right, man. Yeah, you thought you were going to hear us talk about Rocky's baseball. No, it's just an hour and a uh, half of Spider-Man us talking about Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, we've got plenty of awesome baseball content for you today. Uh, pretty much talking about you know, a recap of like impressions of the Rockies' first kind of full week uh, at the time of this recording here on Friday, April 15th. Make sure your taxes are done. Uh, mm. hopefully they got turned in, but it's also kind of a, kind of an icebreaker. It's also Jackie Robinson day, uh, us recording. And I just want to take a little bit of time here and talk with you guys, you know, kind of what Jackie Robinson day means to you or, you know, and, and everything with that. We'll start with Mac here. What's Jackie Robinson day kind of mean to you? Um, it, well, obviously it's just, it's arguably the most important day in, 
like pro sports history. You know what I mean? Like the national ta- pastime, the color barrier being broken is so iconic. Um, you know, it really can't be understated just what it meant to sports culture, just American culture in general. You read all the articles about, you know, how he was feeling that day. And it's just, I was reading one this morning. It was so crazy. They said, you know, how are you feeling? Like, are you, are you nervous? Do you have any butterflies? And he was like, not at all. I'm just out here to do my job. You know what I mean? And it's just like the bravery that that took to, you know, be put in a position like that, especially back then. It really, like I said, it's impossible to understate what that means to American culture and the ramifications of it. So one of the most important days in the history of our country. And I'm glad that we get to celebrate it every year uh, with more baseball uh, in the way that we do. So, yeah, um, I, I think it's shoot. What else is there to say? You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, definitely. What do you have to add to that, Evan? So, Jackie Robinson Day and the the breaking of the color barrier in baseball is, of course, one of the most incredibly important events in the history of professional sports. But something to keep in mind is that you know, despite that being 75 years ago, this is the 75th um, anniversary of that event. Things aren't necessary. Things weren't immediately, quote unquote, equal, and still aren't necessarily equal. You know, to this day, where there were teams that held out on integrating for a long, long time, and there were some teams that were still very against integrating, such as you know the Boston Red Sox, and on the NFL side, you had the um, the Washington Football Team, the the name redacted, and we still have a a fair amount of disparity in terms of the volume of players that are you know black versus white players there there are way more white players in major league baseball there are only two black managers in all of baseball it's dave roberts and dusty baker and uh something they got brought up um this morning with buster only on espn is uh dave roberts and dusty baker and other people in the scouting and development community is that the the league's most recent reduction contraction of the minor leagues and cutting of the draft does seem to disproportionately affect you know black players who are trying to get into the major leagues and so there's definitely still a lot of work to do but it is to to be more and more on a positive note it is good to at least have there been laid a solid foundation way back, you know, 75 years ago. And the, um, you know, J- Jackie Robinson playing his, his first game with the, with the Brooklyn Dodgers is such a, you know, momentous and monumental occasion that I don't want it to get too swept up in, in the, the negatives of, of all the stuff that I've just referenced, but it is important to, avoid complacency as it were that there is still always work to be done and things we can do to improve the game and the accessibility of the game for everybody mm. yeah and I, and I like that where you no know, jackie robinson was just that first point of a much bigger fight that's still being fought today you know, and, mm. and if we follow we can follow you know, no matter who you are you, know, you can follow jackie robinson's example because not only was he a fabulous baseball player no but like Mac mentioned, you know, just how much of a brave individual fighting for what he believed in. And, you know, it's just such an inspirational thing. And I, I always love you know, the movie 42. 
Oh, I I just love that movie because I just love that story of Jackie Robinson to to see what he had to go through. No, back in the forties with everything and his perseverance and bravery to power through that and prove people wrong and kind of prove himself, I guess, to people that their way of thinking uh, needed to change that just because he wasn't white didn't mean he couldn't play professional baseball and be mm. as good or better than most of the white guys he was playing with. You know, and so his example and everything he stood for and continued to do you know, with his, his work, his charity work and everything that he did to help communities, you know, it's just an inspiration. And I love Jackie Robinson Day and what a special moment for so many players in Major League Baseball to wear 42 Oh, especially the African-American players, the black community players that get to carry on that legacy today. You know, it, it's just fun to see. Oh. But Jackie Robinson Day is it's a special moment, and I think you're both hit, nail, hit the nail on the head uh, for the significance of this baseball holiday. Um, yeah. But good stuff. But I did have a little bit of trivia for you before we hop into things. Uh, Let's do it. Evan said he already knows the answer to this one, so we'll see if Mac. We'll give Mac a chance. I will not. <laughs> here. But who is the only Rocky to wear number forty-two prior to its retirement by all of baseball? He was. So I know that the number was retired in nineteen ninety-seven. So, but keep in mind that uh, anyone who was already wearing the number. Uh, when it was retired, were grandfathered in, and were allowed to continue wearing the number until they changed or retired. Okay, so it might not have been changed that year then. So this pit- okay. he was a pitcher, and he last pitched for the Rockies in 1996. Oh, okay, so what? So he didn't wear it the year it was retired. So then nobody wore it the year that it was retired. Then, um, I wow. Hmm. And this is the only Rocky to ever wear the number 42 during his time with the Rockies. Okay, so I'm going to take a shot in the dark here. Um, I'm sure that this is not going to be right. Uh, let me go with Bill Swift. No, it is not Bill Swift. Oh. Good guess, though. Uh, was I close? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right. Evan said he knows who it is. It's Armando Reynoso. It is Armando Reynoso. Pitched oh. with the Rockies from 93 to 96. I would never have gotten so that. So he's, he's the only Rocky you know, during those 90, that 90s era that wore the number 42 uh, in a big league game. Pretty interesting. Wow. That is pretty interesting. But yeah, so. From Mexico, right? Yes. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Armando Reynoso. That's really cool. The only number 42 in Rockies history prior to it being retired. And now we have that? a team full of twenty or 42s every year for one day. That's awesome. Uh, and, that's Max, really cool. to answer your question, uh, Bill Swift wore number 20 with his during his time okay. with the Rockies. Well, I wasn't even close then. All right, well, <laughs> hey, I went for it. <laughs> Shoot for the moon. Yeah. and Shoot for the moon. So the next one, who was the Rockies' first opponent opponent on Jackie Robinson Day when they started doing it in 2004? Uh, this one I don't know. <sighs> Go first, then. Just a shot in the dark. Who do you think it might be? Cubs. It is not the Cubs. Good guess, though. Give me the... You said good guess. Was that an El Central? Give me the 
uh, Dodgers. No, but you are in the right division. It's the Arizona Diamondbacks were their first opponent. I was going to say Diamondbacks, I swear. They lost 11-10 to 10 on opening day, or <laughs> on Jackie Robinson Day back in 2004. 10-7, uh, uh, t- man. Love those course yeah, field games. 10-11, to 11, it was a rough, rough go of it. Scott Ellerton started that game, gave up nine runs in four <sighs> and two-thirds innings. So that's not like a quality start then, is no, it? No, it, far from it. <laughs> Todd Helton did. He went two for three, had two RBI, three walks. That a boy. Oh, Jeremy nice. Jeremy Burnett yep. had three RBI on two hits. Nobody hit a home run for the Rockies that game. but Nine runs without a home run? Yeah. Or, sorry, ten runs without a home yeah, run? Yeah. They, they were just slugging Love it that. all over the place. Yeah, they were. Uh, just some other little quick hits here. Rockies, roughly, by my count, they're about nine and eight on Jackie Robinson Day. Uh, hopefully they get a win on the day that we're recording to – Make that ten and eight, or at least five hundred. Uh, and roughly on my count, they've played the Cubs four times, including today here in twenty twenty two. They've played the Cubs four times on Jackie Robinson Day. How about that? So uh, that takes the lead. They played like the Giants three times, the Diamondbacks three times. So uh, kind of interesting. interesting. Not much variety in opponents that day. But hmm. those are just a couple of the little trivia things I had for Jackie Robinson Day with the Rockies. Uh, but it's hard to find info sometimes. Mm-hmm. But we've got plenty of baseball to talk about, so let's hop into it. Been a pretty interesting first week for the Rockies, first full week roughly. Uh, here as we're retire, here as we're recording, Rockies as of this recording are four in two. Uh, pretty interesting start. They took a won a three game series against the Dodgers. They swept the uh, what's their name. The Texas Rangers in Texas in a two-game series on the road in this economy. And then they lost game one against the Cubs of this new series that they're currently in. That'll end uh, on Sunday. But first week impressions, uh, what's kind of been your overall take after kind of a a week of games for the Rockies? I'll hop in real quick. Um, I'm happy with what I'm seeing generally. I think that the all the new acquisitions for the Rockies are really looking solid so far. Chris Bryant is off to a great start. Again, as of time of recording, he's got a hit in every game he's played so far. Uh, Randall Grichik has looked really solid in the outfield, uh, doing a solid enough job at the plate, and obviously has a very early play of the year contender with that snag that he made in Texas that took away a three-run home run from Corey Seager. Might have lost them the game. Incredible play. And then uh, Jose Iglesias, I know we saw a throwing error from him last night. Skyler, you mentioned in our little uh, chat that Jose Iglesias has had some uh, throwing errors in the past, but largely he's looked pretty solid at the plate. Obviously had a very nice moment on opening day when he got that base hit uh, to honor his father. So really happy with the uh, new Rockies hitter so far. And then, of course, we can get on all of the statistics here in a minute, but uh, just at surface level, the bullpen has been fantastic. The names like Ashton Godot and... You know, the guys behind him, Lucas Gilbreth. I know Tyler Kinley uh, struggled a little bit um, uh, uh, on opening day. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's really been um, fantastic to see these guys um, step up early in the season. And, uh, you know, it, it's been so cool to just kind of see the development of um, the Rockies bullpen that I think we were maybe a little bit uh, wary of 
to you know open the season we were kind of like eh, well you know there's have been some acquisitions like Alex Colomit, but this is largely the same crew as last year who really struggled. I don't know if they're going to necessarily be up to the task, but so far the Rockies bullpen has been lights out. Um, and obviously if the Rockies are going to contend this year, which, you know, who can say necessarily if we think that might end up being a reasonable goal, but if they're going to continue playing the way they've been playing, then of course that bullpen is going to be key uh, to their success. So really, really happy with what I'm seeing so far um, out of the Rockies bullpen. And uh, and yeah, and by the way, I said Lucas Gilbreth, and I meant Justin Lawrence. I don't know why I get those two confused. Like, they're not even like, remotely the same pitcher. Like, it's so weird. But uh, but yeah, like Justin Lawrence last night looked fantastic against the Cubs. Like I said, I love what I'm seeing out of Ashton Godot right now. Really like what I'm seeing out of Carlos Estevez. Daniel Bard gave up a home run the other night. Otherwise, he's looked really solid. Good stuff out of the bullpen so far. Uh, in general, so yeah. yeah. How about you, Evan? What's what's been like the biggest first impression that you've had from this first week of games? Well, if we're going to start with bullpen, let's talk about bullpen. Let's talk bullpen. Uh, so I just had an article go up yesterday on PurpleRow.com, our wonderful website. My Thursday rock pile talking about how I think, uh, looking at how they're doing right now and some more predictive advanced metrics, that our bullpen has a chance to be actually pretty good this year currently we have the best era in all of baseball out of the bullpen with something like uh, 0.68 as our era and that's not going to last that's not sustainable but if you look at some of our other more advanced um, metrics like xfip xfip fip and sierra where things will sort of even out at it really does look like we have a, a pretty solid group of guys here, which is something that we have sorely, sorely needed. Uh, only two pitchers on our entire bullpen have been credited with an earned run. That is Daniel Bard and Alex Colomay. Uh, Colomay, if you remember, had a rough first outing where a lot of soft contact really was his undoing, but he's been totally fine since then. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, he only has the two appearances. Uh, it's the second least out of the Rockies bullpen. Everyone else, except for uh, Jolie's Chassin and Ty Block, have three appearances. Uh, Bard's location has been better, and he's still pitching with that high velocity on his fastball, which is really, really great to see. And a lot of people are saying that he's he's feeling very confident, which is exactly what we want, because we want him to bounce back to how he was in 2020 versus how he was in 2021. Uh, Carlos Estevez has been over-reliable as he's been uh, last year as well. He has three outings. He's only given up two hits, no earned runs. The The weird thing for Estevez is that he does occasionally get strikeouts, but he has yet to strike out anyone on the season. He's the only pitcher in the Rockies' bullpen without any strikeouts. I don't think that's going to last. I think he's going to start picking up some strikeouts soon. Just interesting to look at. Uh, Chassin has been... Really, really solid. The The big thing for him is that he's gotten lucky with some hard contact. Uh, that big Randall Gritchick play was a huge out in one. Texas was very, very lucky for mm-hmm. him because that was just about a three-run home run. Mm-hmm. And you can hear him in the clip uh, shouting some expletives from the mound. As that some Mac no-no words. Um, but he's been overall really solid. Tyler Kinley as well. Uh, Mac, like you said, he... On opening day, 
wasn't quite on, but since then he has two other appearances for uh, three total innings. He leads the bullpen in strikeouts with five. He has been much more like the second half of the season we saw last year versus the first half, where in the first half of 2021 he really wasn't on, and then in the second half he took a huge step forward. Mm. Uh, Ashton Godot has been, you know, the surprise of everything. The, you know, 29-year-old long reliever made his first opening day team. He's pitched in three games for five innings. He's given up two hits, no earned runs, only one walk and three strikeouts. Been really, really solid. Really happy to see that from him. Uh, Ty Block, of course, was another one of those big surprises. He who made the team out of camp. Only has one outing so far, but that one outing, uh, versus the Dodgers, a four-inning save where he struck out four batters and only gave up one hit Fantastic. and one walk was really, really great. And he's one of those guys where you could see him if someone is struggling in the rotation, moving into the rotation. Because uh, he's pretty firmly listed, looks like, as our long reliever going forward, even more so than Ashton Godot or Julius Chassin. The big guy I want to talk about to start the season is Justin Lawrence. We have seen tremendous adjustment from him where he did not make the team coming out of camp. And I honestly thought he should have because he had a pretty solid camp. But what we have seen from him is holding himself back on the insane velocity. This is a guy whose fastball out of that sidearm rotation slot can hit 100 plus pretty frequently. But we have seen him sort of tone back the velocity. This is very similar to what Carlos Estevez did over the last couple of years is toning down the velocity in favor of more command. And the fact that he can still reach for that velocity if he needs it, or just out of his back pocket pull a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. But where he's sitting right now, he's been pitching between 94 and 96. He's placing it a lot better. His slider is working really well. Huge, huge step up for Justin Lawrence over what we've seen from him last season and seen from him in the minor leagues a little bit, where... The Rockies are going to have to make a tough decision, and I don't think it would be wise to when Robert Stevenson and Lucas Gilbreth come back from the IL here in a couple days to have him be the one that they send down. And the Rockies have some tough decisions to make in general because uh, at the end of April they're going to have to cut that roster from 28 to 26. But with how Justin Lawrence is pitching so far, he's definitely earning his roster spot. You've been on the Justin Lawrence train for a minute, Evan. I love Justin Lawrence. Yeah, you do. What do you got, Skyler? Well, I was just going to keep us moving along here. No, because I think with the bullpen, that's been one of the big highlights here. No, And overall, their stats, they're 4-0, so none of them have been credited with a loss yet. They've got four saves, one hold. Uh, I don't know if the four saves is correct. Uh, no, four saves is right. Something like Two that. Two from Bard, one from um, Block. Block Ashton and, okay. Godot, which was is. really weird, and then Ty Block. There it is. Uh but we do have a couple of blown saves. That was, but I think the big thing: no losses yet. The big thing: they've had a lot of workload, twenty-six and two-thirds innings of work, uh, and that's kind of on the other end with pitchers, with the starting pitching that we can touch on here really briefly. Uh, the starting pitching they're still getting stretched out. The I think the short spring trainings had the biggest effect Definitely. on the starters, where a lot of them they were working out the kinks in spring training and didn't quite get them all out. They only had like two or three starts. And it's really been Herman Marquez that had the dominant seven-inning performance uh, in the second game of the season against the Dodgers. 
everybody else has been serviceable. They've been fine. But you can tell the lack of spring training with our starting pitchers has really, uh, I think, been detrimental to them. Uh, a lot of them have struggled with like a one big inning. They've kind of labored. And until last night in Kyle Freeland's second start, no Rocky except Herman Marquez had completed five innings. And now they have two pitchers that have completed five innings. Hopefully we have more uh, the day you're hearing this from the weekend. But that that's something to, to keep an eye on is you don't want your bullpen getting overworked too early here in the early goings of the season because then they're just going to get worn down. But that starting pitching, it's still a mixed bag. And hopefully, I don't know if you, what you guys can add here, hopefully we can see some more, I guess, length and better results from our starting pitching. Evan, go ahead first, man. So I'm not super worried this early on in the season. Like you said, nobody's really fully stretched out yet due to that shortened spring training. Um, I will definitely agree that the current pace at which the bullpen is working is not sustainable because you keep working the bullpen this much and they are going to sort of fizzle out because they're getting overworked. But if you look at the trends over the last two seasons for the Rockies, they used their bullpen some of the least in Major League Baseball. I think their bullpen pitched the fourth least innings from 2021 to 2022. Sorry, 2020 to 2021. And once people start getting stretched out, I think we're going to be fine. Like we saw it um, last night, Kyle only Kyle didn't make it to four innings his first start and then almost made it through six his second start. Um, Erman, his first start, he went seven innings on 74 pitches. And really what it is is that pretty much everybody is on a on a hard pitch count right now. It's like we saw the the Dodgers, and even though they got a lot of criticism for it, and I can understand why, is that they pulled Clayton Kershaw, who was pitching a perfect game with about 80 pitches through, what was it, seven innings? But he barely pitched in spring training. He wasn't stretched out. And as frustrating it is to see him pulled, you understand why he was pulled, is that nobody's fully stretched out and you don't want to risk injury or overwork this early on in the season. I think our second and third times through the rotation, we're going to start seeing people go, you know, five-plus innings a lot more often. And then, you know, probably start of May, everybody's going to be back to their normal workloads. I'm not terribly, terribly worried on that front, Mm. especially because, for the most part, rotation's been fine. Uh, Austin Gomber uh, had the second longest start through the uh, the first time through the rotation. He only gave up three earned runs. Um, he did, I believe, give up a uh, no. He didn't give up a home run, which was great. Uh, but he did walk to struck out four. Though overall looked pretty sharp. But you can you could definitely see as they reached the end of their first starts. Kyle Freeland in his first start. Austin Gomber, Antonio Sensatella of them just hitting the wall of they've thrown too many pitches at this point and they're not fully stretched out. But honestly, they all did fine. Um, Antonio Sensatela has given up the second most runs so far with four, but only one of those is earned. Uh, That was on that really windy day out in Coors Field with that um, dropped ball out in the outfield by Chris Bryant where the sun and the wind just made it uh, difficult to play. Uh, he's done pretty much the same as we know he's going to do. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but gives up a lot of, of contact. So he gave up nine hits, but only one earned run through three and a third innings. And then 
you know, Ermon, we saw how good he was in his first start. We can hope that he can replicate that tonight. And then the 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 two that I think are the most worth talking about right now are Kyle Freeland and Chad Cool. And I'll start I'll start with Chad Cool is that for his first start with the Rockies, he definitely had some work to do. He wasn't placing a lot of his pitches really well, and then he cut his pitching finger with his uh with his nail later in the game and that really didn't help um, where his performance really sort of dipped and we brought him out for the fifth inning and uh, it was pretty clear that he just wasn't able to keep going Uh, with his control issues that he had in placing his pitches. He walked four, which is really not ideal, but he also struck out five and only gave up two hits and one earned run. So Really, honestly, solid, solid first start for Chad Cool. We just need to wait and see how he does in his second time through the rotation. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I, I think let's, that, let's sorry to interject there, but oh, go right with ahead, Chad Cool. You know, I, it wasn't a bad first outing for him, but I think definitely there in Texas he was struggling finding that grip, and I think that cut on his finger you know, was a big part of it. You no, know? and, and he's someone that's struggled with with walks in his career, and that's something that I hope. No, I think in general with the pitching and those starters, walks were the thing that were killing them. Because oh, everybody, only one home run, I think, was given up. Two home runs were given up by the starters in that first week, which is pretty good. But it's like walks and you no, know, just giving up hits, these little paper cut hits, are what's killing them. And it's those walks, I think, we're starting to get to you know, Kyle Freeland, Antonio Sensatella, Chad Cool. That's what kind of was working up their pitch counts. Uh, and, and making things difficult for those starters where then we're having to go to the bullpen more, which is not ideal. Walks will kill you, which hopefully is something they, they clean up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we saw that yesterday with Kyle Freeland where yes. it's, the, it's the walks and the singles. Uh, Kyle especially really getting singled to death. He's given up 14 hits in nine innings uh, with 10 earned runs. So he's got an ERA sitting at 10 through his first two starts. He struck out seven, which is solid, but he's also walked four and hit two batters. So he's a little wild. He's, he hasn't really been placing well yesterday, especially he was having a hard time with his fastball where he kept leaving it up. And then eventually he just really wasn't using his fastball that much. Um, and Freeland in that second start, especially, Getting absolutely single to death, especially in the first inning where he gave up three runs on six hits. Mm. And then after the first inning, it looked like he had really, really settled down. But then when he came back out for the the sixth inning, he just wasn't wasn't working it anymore. Yeah, and I like that we bring up Kyle Freeland here. Uh, and I'll start with Mac here, where he's still pitching without a contract right now, technically. This is a tough one. They're heading to arbitration. Uh, there looks like they're not going to really find anything. There's been no movement between the two sides to reach something before they head to a hearing. So that kind of looks inevitable. What's been kind of your take here and you know, the effects that this arbitration hearing thing is having on Kyle Freeland, Mac? Uh, I know you got to go to a break here, so I'm not going to get into a whole thing about this because this is an incredibly complex situation that I know we don't have all the facts on, but This is a tough one because Kyle Freeland, obviously, I believe to be our most important pitcher on their staff right now. 
And not in the sense that he's necessarily their ace, because I think Herman Marquez has really kind of taken on that role. But I just think, you know, a homegrown talent that loves playing here and has found success at altitude. You know, a couple years back, he was a potential Cy Young candidate. But Kyle Freeland really has been fighting from underneath the last basically three and a half seasons now. 2019, you know, he went 3-11 and with a 6.73 earned run average. In 2020, fair enough, shortened season, I get that, but two and three with a with a four three three ERA. He matched that ERA the next season in 2021, going seven and eight. And I know wins and losses or whatever, but I'm just saying, like as a general sort of overview. And he's really been just trying to find his form since that incredible 2018 campaign. Does that mean that he? And, and to be clear, like the difference is about a million and a half dollars. It's something like that between himself and the club, and that's why they're headed to arbitration. <sighs> It's tough because I want to side with Kyle Freeland. Say, just give the guy his money. And I still believe that. Like, you need to just pay the guy. Like, whatever. It's a million dollars. To a major baseball club, a million dollars is not that big a deal. I will say, as it comes to arbitration being done by this third party, I think they might look at his recent seasons, including his stint in AAA not too long ago, and say, look, man, like, you haven't pitched to the ability that you used to. And therefore, you know, you might not get the payout you were expecting. And whether or not that's wrong or right is not really up for me to kind of say. Just, again, because I lack the real back, you know, behind-the-scenes information. But I just think it's it's a scary thing to see them go into arbitration. Normally, this, this would have been done before the season began. But, of course, due to the lockout, there are some arbitration hearings being done into the season. And it's just, man, a year after watching John Gray leave in a situation that I think we can all agree could probably have been, you know, remedied to the Rockies favor. If you go to arbitration with Kyle Freeland and if he has bad taste in his mouth following this arbitration hearing with the club, you might see this guy leave too. And then I love Marquez and Sensatella and Austin Gomber seems to be doing a nice job. And I know they've got some arms on the way, but I think that would just be a real tough blow to the Rockies who, again, with Bill Schmidt at the helm are really trying to kind of rebuild these relationships with their fans and with their team. And I think this would be a real, uh, a real kneecapper uh, to, to that end. Yeah. And I'll ask this question to Evan. When Kyle Freeland is scheduled to become a free agent, I believe it's after the 2023 season. Will he still be in purple when he's, well, by the time he's about to be a free agent, will he have already been or signed with a contract with the Rockies to stick around? Oof. I'm going to be positive and say that I think so. I think really what he needs is a good solid rebound before his arbitration date. Something to keep in mind, his arbitration hearing is scheduled for May 24th. That's over a month from now. There is still time for the Rockies to get something done. They have until that hearing to try and get him signed to either a way to avoid the hearing or a long-term contract. Kyle says he wants it. Uh, Bill Schmidt says he wants it. And they really do need to be a little bit careful with it because you do have to look at the John Gray situation where... Both sides want Because it. we took so long, despite both parties saying that they wanted to stay together when the Texas Rangers offered him that contract, uh, he... John Gray made a comment where it he felt that he really felt wanted by the Rangers, and that's what sort of swayed him 
um, to, to move on. And we don't want that to happen with, with Kyle. I think it is tricky because he's never really quite lived up to his 2018 potential, where in 2018 he had an ERA of 285, which is the, the record for lowest single-season ERA. And you want to keep that on the team, but you also want him to be actually delivering to that potential where he really hasn't been. And he's definitely been improving from year to year since his really bad 2019. But all we can really do is sort of wait and see. And my hope is that we that we work something out before May 24th and we can say that Kyle Freeland's going to be here for the long term. Yeah, I kind of in that park where you know, it, there's the pressure on both ends where at some point something's got to give if the Rockies want to give to move on and keep work do something with their prospects but it's also the part of Kyle Freeland so integral to this rotation and pitching at Coors Field just like John Gray you don't want to lose him but money and contracts that throws a wrench and it doesn't matter how much they care about each other or want to be together that money is still, I think, at the end day, the one of the most deciding factors. Definitely that poisons or strengthens a lot of relationships. And you know, look at John Gray now; he was sold on the Rangers' vision of their future and that he was going to be their be their number one. They wanted him, sold him on their vision. He wanted to be a part of that, you know, and and didn't want to. He wanted to move on to to diff- something else. And mm-hmm. who knows when the time comes, Kyle Freeland may follow suit, move somewhere else, and then we're into the hopefully bionic arm Ryan Rollison who stops getting injured. <laughs> uh, but only time can tell, I think. Yeah, like you guys are saying, it's just a waiting game at the point at this yep. moment. So fingers crossed for Kyle Freeland, the K-Free, because I believe we're all Kyle Freeland guys. Always. Always, Always and forever. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, lots to talk about our offense now. Who's hot, who's not, and everything in between. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Affected by Altitude. Thank you for sticking around through our ad breaks. We still got plenty to talk about. We talked about pitching. Let's talk about hitting now. Uh, kind of a mixed bag. I think overall, folks are generally surprised that the Rockies offense is doing okay. There's still a lot of problems there, namely runners in scoring position, strikeouts, lack of walks, all that stuff, home runs. But we still have had kind of a mixed bag. There's been plenty of guys that are really good and a couple that have been really bad through roughly that first week of play. First one we want to talk about, Chris Bryant, brand-new Rocky, sticking around for seven years, arguably the new face of the franchise, new leader with the team. He's been off to a really hot start. He's had a hit in every single game with the Rockies so far. He's slashing 360, 393, 480, so he's 9 for 25. Scored five runs, he's got three doubles, two RBI, two walks, four strikeouts. Overall, Chris Bryant's been as advertised so far. Lacking the power still, we have, I want to see a home run. But he's been pretty good for this offense so far. What's been your t- impressions here with uh, Chris Bryant here, Evan? Uh, Bryant's been great. His his defense has been fine. His big um, detractor right now is that really bad misplay on that very windy Antonio Sensatella start against the Dodgers uh, last Sunday. And 
you know, I'll give him the the benefit of the doubt for that. That we know he's a better fielder than that. If you know he's not a world-ending defensive player or anything like that, but it was very windy. It was sunny as well. That that kind of misplay is going to happen, and we saw it happen on both sides of the ball. But his hitting has been exactly what this team has needed, and the power's not quite there yet. We know he's going to hit home runs, but he's still sort of working into his swing for the season. But with that slash and with his hitting, he's the best hitter on the team right now in terms of just pure hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been he's been really really good. That that whole the whole fact that he has you know one hit at least one hit in every game he's played so far this season is is fantastic. He's only struck out four times out of his uh, 25 at-bats. So, definitely really, really solid. I am liking a lot what he brings to the table here. Yeah. How about you, Mac? What's been impressing you with Chris Bryant? Same exact thing, man. I think Evan nailed it. Chris Bryant right now came in as somebody who said that he does not, you know, he's not played on a losing team before and he's not about to start now. And, man, his play really kind of backs up the idea that he wants this team to be successful. Right now, as Evan mentioned, that... One misplay in the middle of a basically a hurricane. Uh, but other than that, he has been fantastic at the plate, patient, waiting for his pitches, sending things straight back up the middle, sending things past uh, you know the third and first base lines for these doubles. He looks great right now. Yeah, no home runs to this point when we record on this Friday. That's okay. You know the home runs are going to come on him um, later on in the season. But man, he looks locked in at the plate right now. Really happy with what I'm seeing out of Chris Bryant to start the season. Yeah, and I think something that really sticks out to me is you just watch him in his at-bats, and they are professional, just high-quality at-bats. You know, those four strikeouts, that that's fine. This team's going to strike out. But every time I look at him, he's just taking a really professional at-bat. He'll shoot the ball the other way. He's finding the gaps, yeah, getting base hits. No, he's getting on base, which I think is something that this team needs. Oh, and unfortunately, he hasn't had as many you no know, opportunities to drive in runs. But I think as the season goes on, he'll get more of those. He'll start hitting the home runs. But I, I just look at him and I don't worry about you no know, the outcome of his at bat as much as maybe I have sometimes with like Arnado or Story, where the pop up was always you know, something at the forefront of my mind. It always just mm. felt like a big situation. And they would pop it up a lot of the time. But with Chris Bryant, you know, I'm sure those will happen too. They always do. But I, he just takes professional bats. He looks really comfortable at the plate. And I like what you mentioned, Mac, that he wants this team to succeed. That's kind of been a common theme I've seen from reporters, and you hear it with the interviews with the team, that guys are loving having Chris Bryant around and that there's this different you know, vibe with the team that Bryant has brought. That's a little bit more. They're playing a little bit more loose. They're positive. They're joke around. They're a bunch of goofballs. They're having fun as a team. Uh, what's kind of been you know, your read on this of Chris Bryant and the change he's brought to the Rockies? I think that Chris Bryant has always kind of been known as a positive and fun clubhouse guy. And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording today that the Rockies stars of the past. And listen, I'm not going to pretend to have any sort of like deep inside knowledge of clubhouse culture. I'm not there with the players. I don't know the ins and outs, right? But just from the, you know, 
interviews that we've had and just some of the conversations that we have seen reported, it really seems like guys in the past like Arenado and Story and Helton even and Tulowitzki and all these other players, they weren't necessarily trying to go out of their way to be clubhouse leaders. I think they kind of naturally became leaders just because of their position on the team. Arenado was the undisputed star, as was Tulowitzki, as was Helton, as was Story. But I'm not sure that they necessarily were trying to change the culture of the clubhouse in any significant way. Whereas, what we've heard from some of the interviews early on in the season, it sounds like the guys are really having fun playing ball right now. Sounds like it's pretty light. Sounds like they're messing around, having a good time. Uh, Chris Bryant, uh, from what he's told some of the Denver media, is, is really enjoying making these new relationships and creating friendships with these guys and that kind of positivity I mean shoot we've all been you know involved in sports in some capacity it's a lot more fun even if you're on a not necessarily you know playoff bound team if you can make those genuine connections with your teammates with your coaches you're going to have a lot more fun during the season and probably play better too so hearing those you know reports coming out um, about what the clubhouse culture is right now has been really really cool to see yeah and LS7 this how important it is is it for Chris Bryant to to have sought out wanting to be that leader, uh, where he was seeking out where it was kind of thrust upon other guys in the past for the team? How important is it or significant that Chris Bryant wanted he wanted to seek that out and be a leader and advisor to some of these younger Rockies? I think it's very significant because when you have a guy that wants to be the leader, like Todd Helton wanted to be the leader, and that's and wanting to be the mentor, and that's another reason why he returned to the organization. And But you have guys like previously Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, and even Charlie Blackman last season, is that they're not the guys who seek out that leadership role. They've been kind of needed to be pushed into it. And having a guy who not only wanted to be on this team, but wanted to be a leader, wanted to be a mentor, wanted to help the team improve, wants to win, is, I think, a really important mindset for this clubhouse where also his his personality is very very different from some of those other guys i mentioned brian is a very sort of laid back laid back easy breezy kind of guy compared to he's competitive he wants to win but compared to guys like nolan and story where the drive was win we have to win and it was very very intense uh, I think it's a very different clubhouse vibe where this can enable guys to have a lot more fun. And we talked about it last week when we were talking about cargo is how important clubhouse atmosphere is to any team where you need to be able to say, our guys are out there having fun. Yeah. And and, and that's what I've noticed. You know, and it's nothing against story and Arno. They, I'm fine with their competitive nature. They want to win, and that's understandable. And I think the difference that Bryant brings, too, is he's... We've talked about this before off mic in our channels, that Chris Bryant comes with... He's already won his MVP. He's won Rookie of the Year. He's been a multi-time All-Star. He's got his World Series ring that he won with the Cubs. Probably no World Series is ever going to top that one. Mm. No, and he's brought this experience. He's hit the high of the highs so he knows what that feels like and you know he's reached that goal and obviously he wants to get back there again and again that should be everybody's goal but I think 
perhaps that can bring a little bit less pressure where he's been on these winning teams as a youngster. Now he's the veteran who can help a new team move forward. Whereas, like, we keep comparing it back to them, but like Arno and Story, they were in the Rockies. They didn't have that experience. No, they lost a lot more often. No, they only reached the playoff playoffs twice during their time here. And so that's understandable. They want to move somewhere else to have those experiences. But Bryant now is here. He wants to share his wisdom and experience with these young guys. He wants to be that resource for them like players with the Cubs were for him. And now he can assume that role and help this team. And I think we can already see you know, those effects. And it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on and we get into the drolls of like you know, May, June, the the June swoon and all that stuff. Mm-hmm how this team hangs up and how he handles it and helps navigate the club through it in that clubhouse. So I I think Chris Bryant, we haven't seen yet all of the great that he is doing and will do for the Rockies, which I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to see that. Absolutely. turns out he's just a really nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) Who'd have thought, huh? Speaking of nice guys, we're moving on to... The, a real American hero, the sworn enemy of Cobra and the Cobra Commander, our very own Connor Joe, who, just like Chris Bryant, Connor Joe has just been phenomenal here to begin the season. Uh, Evan, what makes Connor Joe so special? I mean, other than the fact that he just is an incredibly nice guy with a great story and a absolutely delightful personality... Uh, what makes Connor Joe so special is his control of the plate. Connor Joe takes at bats like a well-seasoned veteran, despite the fact that this is really his, you know, first year as a full-time starter that we've seen so far. He controls the plate so well. He takes incredibly disciplined at bats. He watches and waits for his pitches. He's able to take pitches that he likes and put them into play. Connor Joe has the most walks on the team so far with four and only five strikeouts, which is even then a little bit much for him compared to what we've seen. Nine hits, three of which were doubles. Uh, He already... Sorry, eight hits, one double. He's already hit two home runs. He's got three RBIs. He's got a stolen base. He's showing some solid speed out there. But it's in total his ability to control the plate and get on base. Last year, he led the led the team in on-base percentage. And this year, he's already got a pretty healthy lead on that, where he's got an on-base percentage of 448. Almost 50% of the time, he's on he's on base. And that is so, so important for this team that's been very strikeout happy and had a hard time getting on base is that one of your main guys uh, specifically is good at getting on base and taking strong, patient at-bats. And he's got very quick, very strong hands for putting the ball in play. He's, He's really everything the Rockies want right now. And he's been hitting leadoff a lot recently. And that's been working out pretty well for him. Yeah, and I, I think that's key is you have a guy at the top of the lineup that can get things started, the table setter. Uh, Mac, real quick, what's been your favorite thing about our real American hero, Connor Joe? 
I really just think you guys both nailed it, but just the grit that he's showing right now. You know, he is not a guy that was considered to be a huge integral part of the lineup at the start of last season. And what a change since then, huh? I mean, a guy that we saw some nice work out of in spring training that didn't end up making the team that we were all kind of like, ah, maybe he should get a shot. You know what I mean? To now, I mean, this dude is entrenched at the top of the lineup because of how he has started this season. He looks fantastic. We talked a lot about Chris Bryant, and there's other players too, right? Jose Iglesias looks pretty good. Elias Diaz is off to a hot start. Uh, CJ Crone ain't doing bad at all. But man, Connor Joe is absolutely playing out of his mind right now. Really, really happy with his success. Hope to see it continue. Uh, hope for a, a good, full, healthy season from him, of course. He was derailed a bit by injuries at the end of last season. Uh, if he keeps playing... Shoot, I mean, he's, I know he's not going to finish with the season hitting 333, but if he can finish anywhere near how he has started, this dude could be a sneaky all-star. Yeah, and, and I think one of the interesting things and really significant he spends most of his time as the DH. You know, mm. And for the first time, first season with the DH, I guess first full season, 162 with the DH. We forget that 2020 exists, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> True, uh, yeah. But him assuming the DH role, and he's probably going to get that more often than not as the team's primary DH, but that he has that versatility to play first or play in the outfield, but that he's taken over the DH role, that's a tough position to handle, especially first time doing it, and he's handling it like a pro at the top of the lineup. So on-base machine, professional at bats. You know, it's always exciting to see Connor Joe come up there. He's going to hit, which is really exciting. Um Moving on here real quick, just quickly touching on him. A bunch of other guys like Mac mentioned, Elias Diaz has been off to a hot start. Uh, he's continuing his offensive prowess. He's not off to the slow start like he was last year. Jose Iglesias has been as advertised, a lot of contact, no strike, or like three strikeouts. Puts the ball in play a lot. Um, he's been doing pretty good at the plate. CJ Crone, we're still in the Crone zone because Crone saw <laughs> is ready, as always. He's bringing that bop. As always, he leads the team, six runs driven in. Uh, he's got six strikeouts, no walks yet. Those will kind of even out as he gets more patient at the plate and gets some more walks, but Crone's doing well. Randall Gritchick is doing his part when he plays, um, getting in there. I think overall, uh, Jonathan Daza, in his limited role, he's been hitting well. He's at 500 right now. Overall, up and down that lineup, there's a lot of guys that are contributing. Uh Anybody, real quick, even just throw out names, anybody there that sticks out to you the most? So the first thing I want to say about all of these guys, Diaz, Iglesias, Krohn, Gritchick, and Daza, is that you know Krohn leads the pack in strikeouts, but he's hitting well enough where that doesn't really matter. The rest of them are really not striking out, and that's exactly what this team needs. We talked about it with Connor Joe, is more disciplined at bats where Diaz is hitting 333 he's already got a home run he's making great contact with the ball he's only struck out twice Randall Gritchick same thing only struck out twice Jose Iglesias exactly as advertised where he is a contact hitter he's probably not going to hit a ton of home runs but he's not striking out and then CJ Crone, like you said Skyler those strikeouts and walks are going to normalize for him as we get further on in the season he, was, he got off to a slow start in 2021, and then pretty much when things normalized out for him and he was red, red hot, he was not striking out. 
And I think that's going to level out for him. The big thing for me that it has been the most surprising is Jonathan Dotsa. So I wasn't sure going into spring training that there was a place on this team for Daza because we have such a glut of outfielders, and I thought we had really seen his ceiling uh, last year when he came back after being out for a little bit in the second half. But he had a really good spring training, and he's seen limited playing time so far, but when he is in the game, he's been really good. Uh, he had, unfortunately, a little bit of a base-running snafu last night that definitely cost the Rockies some runs, um, which I think is just an, a lack of experience thing. This is really only his second real year in the majors. But in eight at-bats, he's got four hits. That's all there is to say. No strikeouts. Not bad. He's been a good contact hitter. And that's that, you know that's another guy that the team needs, and if he can keep playing like that, you know even though he's 28 years old, he can prove that either he has a spot on this team or that another team might be interested in him, and the Rockies may be able to get some value out of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a big spot, uh, and his defense is a huge thing. We we've seen him get thrown in late in the game, you know, as a defensive replacement in center field. Now that, that glove is really helping him as well. Uh, Mac, really quick before we move on to who's cold. Yes, sir. Who is, of those other guys that we mentioned, who sticks out to you the most? Jose Iglesias. I, I'm really happy with how he started off. I know we mentioned he wasn't the guy that made a huge impact over the last couple seasons. He's kind of been struggling to find his identity. Really happy with how he's swinging the bat. One error so far and a throwing mistake. He made a nice play right before that shortstop. Really easy guy to root for. Happy he's here. And, um, Hope he continues on the hot streak he's on. Yeah, and I think guy that can just make contact, bottom of the lineup, be a table setter. You know, for the turnip over of the lineup for the Jose or for the Connor Joes and everything, huge, mm-hmm. huge, um, huge win for an offense. So let's just hope he can continue to figure out how to throw to first base without it bouncing <laughs> in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. his his uh, defense yeah. has been pretty rough. Where by fielding percentage, at the very shaky. least, he's. Uh, second worst on the team behind Chris Bryant, who took a big hit with that that, that error. error. But sure. it's the early goings; they'll iron everything out. Yeah, hopefully. We just <laughs> we need him to not repeat last year, which was really bad defensively. But he, at the very yeah. least, is as advertised at the plate, which is something we needed. Absolutely, definitely. Speaking of folks that aren't playing as advertised at the plate. Bit of cold, guys. Uh, Ryan McMahon, he's just kind of beat beat up, but he's taken some good at-bats. He'll work things out, get her butt. The big surprise has been Charlie Blackman and Brendan Rodgers have been really struggling here. Uh, Five hits between the two of them. Rodgers is two for 23. Blackman is three for 23. Both of them having a rough time here to start the season. Uh, and I know, Evan, Brendan Rodgers is kind of the one that you're really worried about right now. Yeah, Rodgers is batting .087. He has no extra base hits. He only has two hits. He struck out ten times. He's been rough to watch. Like he gets up to, His defense has been fine, but when he gets up to the plate, he looks lost. And that is really concerning to me after how well he finished last season and how well he played last season, where he really earned himself that starting second baseman role. And 
what's really been bad for Rodgers is his his plate discipline um, with runners in scoring position or with runners on base. Yes. Last night we watched him, you know, strike out three times. And two of those strikeouts came with multiple runners on base. And he's just really not been good. And you 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 hope that Bud Black has patience with him, um, that he's going to stay in the lineup and hopefully iron things out. But it is really concerning to see him struggle this bad this early on, especially because he had he had an okay spring. But it really is like he has expectations now. Where last year he didn't really have expectations anymore because he wasn't a top prospect and it was really just all right, kid, play for your spot. And now that he's the starting expect now that he's the starting second baseman, he's got expectations again, and he needs to unfortunately meet those expectations. Uh, that he is really, really not right now. Well, especially because, like, Bud Black obviously puts a lot of faith in him. We saw on opening day he was the number three hitter. With guys like C.J. Crone and Chris Bryant and Charlie Blackman on your team, and even guys like Randall Gritchick, like, he went with Brennan Rogers as the three-hole. And even recently, you know, he in his game that Evan just mentioned, he's still the number five hitter. So he's considered a middle-of-the-order bat. But you're absolutely right, Evan. I mean, he has really, really struggled thus far in this season. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up specifically the runners um, on base because, boy, oh, boy, it just kind of seems like he walks up the plate and he's down 0-2. And that is a huge part of why the Rockies, as Skyler sort of mentioned earlier, that they've struggled with runners on base because these middle-of-the-order guys, which has been Bryant, uh, excuse me, which has been Rogers recently, cannot even move them over. Like, it, like, okay, sure, a home run or a double, you know, to clear the bases would be nice. But even a ground out to first, just to move the runners over a little bit would be helpful. And instead, he is striking out like crazy. You mentioned that he only has two hits on the season, both singles. And it's not like, you know, uh, Evan said hilariously right before he started recording that Ryan McMahon is getting bay pipped to death, right? Like, Ryan McMahon's hitting the ball hard. It just happens to be right at somebody. It'll sort of even out. That cannot be said so far. For our boy Rogers, man, he is just completely lost at the plate right now. I don't know, you know, what Dave Magadan can do or Bud Black can do to kind of sit them, sit him down and maybe figure out a, a new way of approaching his at-bats or whatever, but he's got to make a change quick because this guy ended up uh, hitting 284 at the end of last season, and he looks nothing like the player we saw yeah, last and year. Yeah, he's, real quick before we, we hit on our other guy who's been chilly, is Brennan Rogers is sort of a good example of a problem the team has had overall is that we have left so many runners on base and hit very poorly yes. with runners in scoring position where we left like 11 or 12 runners on base last night in our loss against the Cubs and scored two runs. Like we're getting hits. We're just not getting the clutch hits to keep everybody moving forward. And then um, we had – Oh my goodness, we had that game in Texas where we were 3 for 16 with runners in scoring position. Mm. That is abysmal. <laughs> and it's been a consistent problem with this team for a while, and I don't know if it's a specifically like a Dave Magadan thing or what is going on, but it is definitely something that needs to improve because we're getting, we have all these guys that can get on base, but then we're just not getting clutch hits from a lot of people where yeah. Brendan Rodgers has one RBI 
that's, yeah, that's, I, that's I all he's that, got. That's the the rough part is we won't harp on it really. That's a discussion for another time. But the hitting philosophies that they have and their approaches, especially with men in scoring position, is not good. They go up there and yes. they just – I hate to say it, but a lot of them just look clueless when there's a runner over at second base. And uh, I don't know what – their hitting approach, their philosophy, something, they're, they're just getting fooled that badly by opposing batters. You know, the, you're going to have bad luck. You're going to you know, get underneath one, pop it up. You're going to ground out and stuff. That's fine. No, that's understandable. But when it becomes again and again, batter after batter, you know, you get a guy at third with nobody out or guys on the corners, nobody out, and you strike out three times in a row, that's not okay. There's no excuse for that. No, somebody's got to put it in play. No, you got to s- capitalize when you have opportunities. Even if it's just one run, you need to score one run in those situations, and they haven't been doing that. And so yep. coaching staff, the hitting philosophy, analytics, whatever, they need to figure that out because it's going to be a long season if we're going to have a small population, small city left on the bases yeah. all so year. Like, yes. With the amount of with the amount that the Rockies got the ball in play last night against the Cubs, we could have won that game. That was a winnable game. Yeah, definitely. And how definitely. many times have we said that over the last couple of years where we look and go, that was a winnable game. Why didn't we win? Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think another key con- factor in this is our other guy that's cold on it. And I'll throw this one to Mac to kind of give us you know, his take here is Chuck Nasty is not having a good start to the season at the plate, you know, whether it's because spring training or whatever. But Chuck is he's not the Chuck that we're used to or that we know and love at the plate. So what what have you kind of noticed here with, with Charlie Blackman at the top of the lineup? You know, I'm going to keep this one kind of short because I do think that we've talked about this in the past where Charlie Blackman kind of gets off to slow starts, right? Like, well, that's not like the – that's not out of the average for him to kind of have – we said it before when we were talking about spring training. Like, he has slowish springs – and then he kind of figures it out as the season gets on. And then a month into the season, he's fine, right? So I'm not going to freak out too much about Charlie Blackman at this point. I will say, like, I think he is flailing a bit at pitches outside. I've seen him take a lot of swings and misses on, like, change-ups and some of these sliders that are normally pitches I would expect to see him sort of let go by. Um, but in general, I mean, I don't love that he struck out eight times in 23 bats. That's a bit higher than I would like to see. But at the same time, I'm not going to worry about it too bad at this point. I think it is one of those things where he's a vet. He's been around forever. He's the elder statesman on this team at this point. And I think that this is just one of those things. What we've mentioned it so many times, it's one of the side effects of having such a short spring training and just kind of having to pick things up in game situations. I'm not too worried about Charlie Blackman personally. Yeah. What about you, Evan? What do you have to... To, to add here about Chuck Nasty. So I'm definitely not pleased with how he's been playing to start the season. I do agree, and, and it's sort of the general consensus, is that the shortened spring training has really hurt him in terms of, like, he already tends to have slow start springs uh, while he's just getting warmed up, and, and that's fine, but when it carries into the season is when it starts being an issue. And we saw last year he had a really, really, really bad April. And he's off to yes. not a great start here. He's just not 
seemingly seeing the ball very well. He doesn't look that comfortable in the box. And I think he works out of it, but the issue is that he needs to work out of it sooner rather than later because this is a guy that we rely on as a key member of our offense, and he's just not getting it done. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Sorry, go ahead, Skyler. Well, I was going to add on to that where it's those strikeouts that are really detrimental to him getting it done. Uh, and, and that we're, we're used to Chuck having such a good patience at the plate, you know, especially last season. But this year, eight strikeouts in those 23 at-bats in batting from the one and two hole, it's not ideal for him. Uh, and He's the, the old man on the club, been with him the longest. He's up there in age. And it, it's just unfortunate to see Chuck's game is a really, off to a really slow start offensively and den- defensively here to start the season. Yeah, and it, it really is the strikeouts because throughout his entire career, Chuck has never struck out at 20% or above. Even last year, he struck out at a 15.6% clip. Right now, he's striking out 33.3% of the time. It's not great. And you got to hope or think that that's going to normalize as the season goes on, but it needs to it needs to normalize sooner rather than later. And another thing that's really um, been frustrating with Chuck, and, and don't get me wrong, I adore Charlie Blackman. He's my favorite player. I love Chuck Nasty. His right field defense so far this year has not been good, especially when it comes to the thing that I've noticed is playing balls off the wall, where he is getting sort of mixed up with these deep balls that are bouncing off the wall, and anybody watching can see, oh, he's going to have to play that off the wall, but then he is right up against the wall trying to make the play at the wall, and so then the the ball bounces and gets far, far away from him, and that causes more damage than it should. Gives runners an extra base, basically. Yeah. yeah giving away bases is never good. No, and, and how long has Chuck played there? Oh, in in that Coors Field outfield. Oh, hopefully that gets ironed out, or no, they finally just send down like Chuck. We got to put somebody else in right field. Oh, mm. Something like that. Connor Joe. They got plenty of outfielders. Yeah. <laughs> They're not hurting. They got the guys. And, there, and there's no, nothing but... wrong with, with going, all right, it, Chuck, you need to be done in right field. But it's so strange because, like, last year he looked way more comfortable in right field than he does so far this year. And he ended up the season with a with a 2 DRS, which was the first time he has had a positive number as his DRS in, a, in quite some time. Like, he had a, a mm. solid season defensively last year. And I'm I'm really hoping that he can turn everything around, both in the field and at the plate. But it's just it's a little worrying when both of your guys with mullets and beards are struggling to this degree to start the season. Yeah, <laughs> but no. but what's nice is it's the early goings of the season. We still got plenty of baseball left in the year. At some point, these guys will figure it out. They'll get hot. And you just hope that they're not the only two that are hot and everybody else goes cold, which tends mm-hmm. to happen with this team for some reason. Uh, yes. But I think overall, I think you guys agree, there, there's some positivity, a lot of good surprises from this first week of games. Uh, April is usually a good month for Rockies baseball, and we're getting some good feelings out of the new guys, a lot of surprises, a lot of you know, things to worry about. But the season's long, and our opinions will change. Who knows, maybe by next week 
we're talking about how Brendan Rodgers and Charlie Blackman were the two hottest hitters <laughs> in baseball. Hey, if nothing else, it's been exciting so yeah, far. Yeah, it's been exciting and good quality baseball. Uh, Definitely. They've been in, they could have easily won every game they've been in, which Definitely. is that's a good sign. Um, but that's going to do it here for this week's edition of Affected by Altitude. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to our good old chats about Rockies baseball. Uh, Evan, where can the folks find you? So you can find me on Twitter at, at Evan underscore Lang27. I'd love to hear from you. You can also hit us up at our official Affected by Altitude Twitter account, which is at Altitude Effect. And you can always catch me doing my Thursday rock piles on Purple Row and game coverage generally on Sundays. Alrighty, and Mac, where can the folks find you and your musings of Kingdom Hearts 4? Kingdom Hearts 4! Oh, get him started. Oh, We're about to be dude. done. <laughs> oh, bro, this podcast lasts another hour and a half. I'll go all day, but nah. Hit me up at Cormac Battle Pro, which is at C-O-R-M-A-C Battle Pro. Talk to me about Samoa Joe. Talk to me about Kingdom Hearts 4. And then uh, I will also be doing game coverage this uh, season, generally on Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, appreciate, you know, all the all the comments and everything on the articles. Uh, yeah, you guys are great. And uh, Kingdom Hearts 4 is real. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Where can they find you, uh, Skylar? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at sideline underscore crowd. I'm always making jokes, something, yeah, yes. memes, gifs. I mostly communicate through gifs. Uh, but you can find me on there, all the good stuff. Also, my Sunday rock piles every week. And then, as always, you can find our new episodes of the Affected by Altitude on Mondays. Usually dropping around 10 a.m. regularly. Uh, so let us know how we're doing and what we can do better and what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, but that'll do it here for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Mac, hit him with it. Kingdom Hearts. Or sorry. <laughs> Farewell. Farewell. <laughs> Sick. <laughs>